0: Welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 27th of September. I'm Anthony Day and yes, this is the second edition of the Sustainable Futures Report this week. If you want to hear about the global climate strike, I did a special edition on Tuesday and you'll find it where you found this. Following on from last week's episode, there's news from Hinckley C, and unsurprisingly, it's bad news. I spoke to Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio this week. In a minute you can judge for yourself how well I did, or not. This is the week of another United Nations climate conference, and I'll talk briefly about that. Do stay on to the end. I'll play out with a new track by John Dassier called Try the Greens. First of all though, let's hear from an archaeologist on how new techniques can help us deal with the climate crisis. My guest today is Dr. Chris Fisher, who's Professor of Anthropology at Colorado State University. He's an archaeologist, he's Director of the Center of Archaeology and Remote Sensing, and he's Founder and Director of the Earth Archive. Chris, welcome and thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, you've been working in the jungles of Central America on uh, archaeological surveys, and you've been using a new technique called LIDAR, which I I associate with uh, self-driving cars. But um, there's obviously something else there, and you've actually, from that, moved all the way to a link with uh, how we manage climate change. That's not very clear the way I've explained it, but I'm sure you could do that a lot better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope so. Um, So I was trained as a traditional archaeologist using methodologies that have been around since the 1950s. And in 2009, I documented for the first time a very large and complex city that we didn't know was there in central Mexico. And using those traditional technologies, it would have taken me couple decades maybe to uh fully survey map all the buildings in this place and, un- uh, and understand it and so i i got frustrated and i turned to this new technology called lidar which is basically a way we use airborne lidar which is a little different than the terrestrial kinds of lidar that are on self-driving cars or etc and in using this kind of lidar you have some sort of aerial platform, could be a fixed-wing aircraft, could be a helicopter. In the future, it will be drones, although that technology isn't quite uh, sophisticated enough right now for us to use that. From that aircraft, you shoot down a grid of infrared beams, laser pulses. It's like sonar for the ground. When one of those pulses reaches something, on the, an object on the ground, it could be a, the top of a tree, could be a bird, could be a leaf, could be the surface of the ground. It returns back to the sensor on the aircraft and it gives you a measure of distance. Every second that instrument shoots out like a million pulses. So it's a very dense grid. No matter how intense the vegetation, some of those pulses will reach the ground surface and return to the aircraft. So what you end up with is a three dimensional cloud of points. At an incredibly high resolution so we can by using computer algorithms filter away digitally scrub or practice what uh, i and other people have been calling digital deforestation we can remove that vegetation and see the archaeology on the, on the ground i've used that te- technology first we used it in mexico and it was absolutely groundbreaking and when I saw my first products from that LiDAR, I, I honestly, I teared up because I realized that, you know, in 45 minutes of flying, we had accomplished, you know, the, the LiDAR company had accomplished what would have taken decades archeologically. And then we also used it in Honduras to discover some new lost cities that we didn't necessarily know were there. And so it was a groundbreaking technology in, in, in that sense, just for archaeology alone. But what, what I realized is that all of that vegetation that I spend decades, or that, you know, the, all that vegetation that I spend days and days, not decades, days and days scrubbing away are the careers of hundreds of other scientists who are actually studying the trees, tree size, forest composition, tree age, geologists, hydrologists, it's, it's the, the top, topology of that place. And many other things that we don't even know in, you know, we don't even really know how to use these records yet. But I know that they're critically important. And in that sense, these LIDAR records are the ultimate conservation records because they record the ground surface and everything on it in incredibly high resolution. And that led me to this ultimate resolution, uh, realization that, we can use these records to fight climate change. Right. To, to how, how would you do that? Well, for most, of, most areas of the world, we don't have high-resolution records of the Earth's surface and everything on it. We're basically kind of shooting in the dark. We have a better idea. We have better maps of the moon than we do of our own planet's surface. So to measure change... You need to measure against something. You need baseline data so you can understand how things are changing. We don't have that for most of the world. So we can't begin to evaluate change. We can't begin to measure change, figure out how things are changing. Right. So a first, a rational first step in fighting the climate crisis is having those baseline data so we can begin to measure change.
0: So how practical is that? Because the Earth is... A big, a big space. That's partly why um, we use satellites for surveillance because they can cover such a big area. But um, you're actually using um, aircraft as opposed to spacecraft, so you will need an awful lot of them, won't you?
1: It it will be expensive, um, and you know it will be time consuming, but it has to be done. And we, I, I mean, from our perspective, we don't have a choice. Now, we can start with areas of the world that are most threatened. So one of our immediate goals is to scan the Amazon. And we believe that we can scan the Amazon in five years, within five years, for $15 million. Which sounds like a lot of money, but it's not that much money. $15 million. It's, it's half the cost of Jeff Bezos's new yacht. <laughs> it is three 30-second Super Bowl commercials in the United States. It's a fraction of the cost that Google just spent sending all of those billionaires to whatever Mediterranean island it is that they sent them to. So for you and I, that's an that's an unfathomable amount of money. But it is possible to get that sort of money. And that's exactly what we're, what we're trying to do.
0: Well, now this is very interesting because uh, obviously... Uh, aware of all all the controversy about the fires in the Amazon at the moment and one of the things that I've come across is that the fires which are visible from space are on those areas which have already been deforested and are being cleared and re-cleared for for agriculture, but that there may be other fires uh, on the forest floor, but they are not visible to satellites but from what you're saying, they would be visible to
1: LiDAR, wouldn't they? They absolutely would be visible to LiDAR, but once we scan those areas, they are frozen in time.
0: Yes, yes, of course.
1: Those records are in indel- They're not like a photograph. Those three-dimensional records do not degrade. You can actually put on 3D glasses and walk through them like the, I don't know if anybody remembers the movie Tron. I might oh, be the only one that remembers oh, it. Oh, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, or or the holodeck on Star Trek. I yeah, mean, yeah. so... Once we scan those areas, that creates a baseline for them. And we will be able to see some of those areas that have uh, been burned or are deforested, et cetera. And, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the Amazon fire story is incredibly complicated. And, um, you know, we're seeing it, 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 there, there is burning in areas that have been cleared um, already. There is burning associated with areas that are newly being cleared. It's intensely complicated, and within the scientific community, there's a lot of debate about, you know, is it? I've heard numbers that range from six percent higher than normal to sixty percent higher than normal. So, either whatever scenario you're talking about, it's you know, it's absolutely horrific because once the once these areas are destroyed, they they don't you can't rebuild this tropical forest, which is kind of a uh, uh, misconception I think. And we we definitely saw that in the Mosquitia area of Honduras where we had used LIDAR to to document a couple of um, unknown cities and possibly help unravel an unknown culture. And that is that rainforest in the Mosquitia which is often called the lungs of Central America or the little Amazon sometimes. Once those areas are deforested, they don't return back into, into tropical forest. They turn into something else because those forests developed under a different climatic regime. So you can't go back and rebuild those places. So once they're gone, they're gone. You can't reforest these areas. Okay. Okay. Or you can reforest them, but not with the same kinds of tropical trees that are there now.
0: Right. So how close are you to being able to actually do a survey of the Amazon? You're still looking for backers? Well, we're
1: going to – we're – yes, we're still – we're definitely in fundraising mode. We're definitely looking for backers. But we have uh, some funding now. We have some donations now that will allow us to start scanning in the Amazon. And I can't tell you where because we're still seeking the permitting for it. Yeah. But we hope to start scanning um, in January of 2020. So I'm an academic, so at the end of the semester, we're going to head to South America and hopefully start scanning immediately.
0: I see. And that's, um, you're going to record all your data in what you're calling the Earth Archive. And what's the, what's the purpose behind the Earth Archive?
1: So we want to record the entire land mass of the Earth. And some of it has already been done, some fraction of it. And we want to mirror some of those data, create new data, And then open source it all, make it all freely publicly available. And there are a lot of uh, serious technical difficulties that are inherent to that goal. Just the, you know, storing the data and managing it and distributing it. And the ethics of how to do that are intensely complicated. But um, also, uh, you know, figuring out, who gets access to those data, et cetera, in the short term? Our goal is to have it all open sourced within ten years of scanning it. Okay. And
0: yeah, you were saying it would be, uh, it could be of interest to a whole range of people, from dendrologists uh, to uh, climate scientists to geologists. But uh, could it not backfire? Could it not show the people who want to mine the Amazon where the best places are to find the minerals that they're after?
1: Well, this is a very this is a very interesting question, and um, we we firmly believe that uh, within decades, all of these information will be open sourced already. There there really is no place that you can hide from the kinds of remote sensing to technos- tech tech. Remote sensing tools that we're going to have in in a in a few decades time. So it's up to us to figure out how to distribute these kinds of data and how to use them now. And one common thing that we hear that that's often related to that is is the um, the question of looting. Aren't we by for archaeology by scanning these places and open sourcing the data? Aren't we just creating a roadmap for looters? And the fact of the matter is. Most archaeological sites, I've been to hundreds of archaeological sites, both in in Europe and all throughout the Americas. The only place that I've ever been that hadn't already been looted were those sites in Honduras. Mm. And Mm. so the looters already know where the sites are. It's the archaeologists who don't know where they are. (sighs) So are we creating a roadmap for for people to go in and mine these places? Uh, Probably not. There's already so much illegal mining going on in in the Amazon already that by scanning these places and working with these governments and other agencies, we can actually show them where the mining is happening and help stop it. Okay. We can show them where the deforestation is happening and stop it. We can show them where drug activity and stuff is happening and we can help them stop it. Right. So, right. Um, you know, I I firmly sort of fall on this side that. Uh, of this uh issue you know you can't protect something if you don't know it's there yep. you can't protect something that you don't know is there fair enough fair enough
0: after uh, well looking at other um opportunities have you been in touch at all with the environmental protection agency because i would have thought that scanning low-lying coastal areas would be uh, um an important exercise, because as you say, if you set up a baseline, then you are able to do it again and to see how things are changing, and to see how the measures which are being taken to mitigate against or to adapt to um, the effects of climate change, how how effective they've been.
1: We are working a little bit in the United States to scan coastal areas, and some of those coastal areas have already been scanned. Um, not at a resolution that we think is, is high enough, but there are some records, and we're working to actually begin to mirror those records from the Earth Archive for people to make them openly accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several efforts in the United States to, uh, to, to um, uh, create LIDAR records for some parts of the United States. It's imperfect and there's some problems with it and we kind of want to learn from that. But we are working with some areas to start scanning coastal, coastal spots to help do that. So yeah, so we are doing that,
0: yeah. Okay, and are you working with uh, anybody else in other parts of the world? Because in Europe, Africa, Russia, or anywhere like that?
1: We, we have reached out to some people, and we hope to have one potential model for the Earth Archive is like a digital seed bank. So we hope to have uh, some place within the EU um, where we have a branch of the Earth Archive. And we also hope to have a branch of the Earth Archive in Southeast Asia, and we're looking at some potential places per, perhaps in Japan to help house that that data to sort of be a satellite center of the of the uh, Earth Archive. So um, we are sort of looking at that.
0: And would you have teams in those places who are creating the, the data, the local data to add to the archive?
1: In an ideal situation, we would indeed have. So it's teams a, long, to a do long-term that. hope, then? It's a long-term hope, and we need to begin scanning projects in Southeast Asia. We need to begin scanning projects in um, tropical Africa. Um, you know, there are parts even in the Mediterranean where scanning projects should be going on. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a big project, and it's a it's a long-term hope. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a person that strongly feels that everybody this is the this is the challenge that we're going to face in the 21st century this is our this is our big um, the, the big challenge for humanity and everybody has to ask themselves they have to sort of reach within themselves and ask themselves what what are they doing now to help combat the climate crisis you know what are they going to tell what are when people look back at them when they're um you know, when their grandchildren's grandchildren think about what these people did, you know, how are they gonna justify what, how are their actions now? And so I think everybody has to stand up and do something. And this is what we we feel that we can do. We can use this, write these LIDAR records to help combat this, this challenge that we face. And it's a crisis, but it's also this amazing potential opportunity us to come together as a species Mm -hmm. and face this common problem and maybe it's something that could actually bring us closer together and and help resolve some of the the political differences and you know other differences that we have moving forward and i know that's many people would say oh that's so optimistic whatever but um you know i see i'm somebody that has to have to see some good in 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 what's happening you know and i, think, and I mean I think
0: have, what you're talking yeah. about has got to be done you're right we've got to all work together and of course one of the most important things is getting governments on side governments are often very timid because they don't want to do anything which makes them unelectable which of course gives them a very very short-term view but if we can persuade the governments that things like this that information like this can be made available and will let them make better decisions then this has got to be a good thing, hasn't it?
1: I absolutely think so. And I think we do have to work to get politicians and governments uh, on board with these problems, but we also have to work from the grassroots because they they simply aren't moving quickly enough. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm an archeologist. I'm trained to be a time traveler. I'm trained to see the world as it was. I'm trained to see the world as it is today. And I'm trained to imagine the world as it will be in the future. Mm-hmm. And I'm and, and because of that, my you know i see the world in long big long chunks of time thousand year chunks of time yeah. i don't see the world in four year slices of a us presidential administration which is how you know a lot of politicians see things yeah. and that's a problem because they lack that long term thinking and this is a long term problem we could all start living like the flintstones this afternoon And any changes we make today are telegraphed decades in the future. Mm. We have to begin this long-term thinking. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You may have heard a quote from one of our British prime ministers who said, a week is a long time in politics.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, we need to start thinking longer than that. But yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, we all we can all we all should be doing something. Anything in particular that we should do? Do you think anything you would like people to take away from this conversation? uh, Think more about and actually act on.
1: Well, I think I'd I'd love it if they supported the Earth Archive. (laughs) Okay, and then I think, and then I think also, I, I think truly everybody has to reach within themselves and think of how you know think of ways in which they can contribute to solutions for the climate crisis said the time for sitting on our hands has passed. It is time for action and everybody has to do something. And, you know, there have been points in our, in our history where we have been able to come together for a common good. World War II is one example of that. And I think we're facing another one of these tipping points for our species. And I think it is possible to come out on the other side of this thing with a more unified, uh, more successful uh, adaptation but we all have to work together to, to create that
0: Chris that's really interesting thank you very much um, I'll encourage everybody to go and have a look at theeartharchive.com that's T-H-E E-A-R-T-H archive.com all one string and there they will find a link to your TED talk which tells us more about your archaeological discoveries in Central uh, America So thanks again, and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to the Sustainable Futures Report.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Good. Well, I think that went very well. Uh, As I agreed with Helena, I will send over the recording. So what I do, I publish this um, as a podcast, but then she will get it um, uh, transcribed, and I'll put the text on the blog, because some people prefer to read a blog. And um, I'm not sure when I'll publish it. It'll, it's published on Fridays. Um, it won't, obviously won't be tomorrow. <laughs> might be next <laughs> week, might be the week after, but uh, it won't be long. And, and thanks again. It's, it's been very, very interesting.
1: Thank you so much. I hope that went well, and I hope to talk to you soon.
0: Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Dr. Chris Fisher, Professor of Anthropology at Colorado State University. This week saw the United Nations Conference on Climate Change in New York and impassioned speeches by Greta Thunberg. You can find her all over the internet. The outcome of the conference is generally seen as disappointing. Some countries committed to achieving zero carbon by 2050, but the major polluters, the United States, China and India, set no time-limited targets. Also this week, we had the Labour Party Conference, brought to an early close by events in the Supreme Court, which are of historic importance, but outside the scope of this podcast. Nevertheless, they had time to pass a resolution stating that a future Labour government would commit to achieving net zero carbon by 2030. This compares with the present government's target of 2050 and the Liberal Democrats' 2045. Julia Hartley Brewer of Talk Radio wanted to talk to me about it, but clearly not for very long. asked to be ready for 8.30, I eventually got on for 9.30.
2: To something that did happen at Lay Party Conference yesterday, uh, got lost in all the mix over the Supreme Court decision. Some extraordinary decisions at Lay Party Conference this week, things like abolishing private schools, effectively seizing uh, private property uh, if uh, homes are left uh, um, for six months empty. But also, uh, they also decided to vote to adopt the rather radical target, radical doesn't really do justice to this, of net zero carbon emissions by 2030. That would be 20 years earlier than the current uh, parliamentary vote uh, adopted uh, by Theresa May's official government policy. And just five years after that of the extremist left and radical organisation, uh, the Extinction Rebellion. Let's talk to Anthony Day. He's an environmental consultant and presenter of the Sustainable Futures Report podcast. Good morning to you, Anthony.
0: Good morning, Julia. Good morning. I hope you had a good holiday since we last met. Oh, yeah,
2: Yes, I, I certainly have. I, I always take all, all, as many flights as I can to enjoy my holidays. Um, right. Extraordinary policy uh, agreed by Labour Party yesterday. In any normal week, this would be all over the front pages. Um, how on earth would we achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2030 in the event that, say, in 2020 sometime, we have a Labour government? Is that achievable and what would it cost?
0: It's going to be difficult. I don't know exactly what it's going to cost, but I know how they're going to do it um things like uh taxation on fuel uh, the fact that uh, george osborne cancelled the increases in fuel duty eight years ago has cost the treasury 46 billion pounds it's also uh, led to people buying bigger cars using more fuel wasting more fuel and creating more pollution Quite apart from the fact that, um, that that includes greenhouse gases, which exacerbate global heating.
2: Well, hold on a minute. Uh, no, hold on a minute. So, I, putting the tax up on fuel, so making it too expensive for people to keep their cars, to drive their cars, or buy new cars unless they're electric,
0: right? Well, I don't think we'd go quite that far. Well, that's but what. We well, well encourage...
2: no, but no, hold on. A minute. No, I ask you, how do we achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2030? Putting taxes up doesn't achieve anything unless putting taxes up stops people from doing something they're already doing.
0: Well, it makes them do less of what they're already doing. I'm so not we're going to make driving too
2: on. expensive for a lot of people.
0: But at the same time, we've got to make public transport far, far more affordable. For example, instead of um, spending five times as much per head on public transport in London, we should spread that over the rest of the country so that public transport is as affordable and uh, accessible I mean, as it is in London. I
2: mean, buses and trains do also give out carbon emissions, don't they?
0: Yeah, but uh, far less per head of passenger.
2: Oh, okay. All right. So, um, and what else would this involve?
0: Well, as far as public transport is concerned. Because we know that cars
2: at... aren't the only source. In fact, they're a tiny, no, tiny no. source of carbon emissions. So that's no, obviously not a not tiny
0: good... source. They're not a tiny Relative of to others.
2: Yes, they are relative Trans- to, say, Trans- the steel transport. industry and things like that around
0: the world. Well, yes, that's quite large. Agriculture. They're not, they're, not, they're not tiny in proportion to that. Yeah, agriculture is something that's got to be looked at. Uh, and to be honest, the, uh, the agricultural industry has accepted it. Um, the British farmers themselves have said that they want to aim for carbon neutral by 2040. So uh, it's a question of, of looking that up and speeding it up if we possibly can. Okay. One of the mo- yeah
2: but this is going to involve, the key thing is you talk about agriculture, when we talk about you know, cars, also I mean obviously other transports so uh, flights for instance um, uh, one, one of the uh, delegates at the uh, conference yesterday was pointing out that families would be limited to one foreign flight every five years and their petrol cars would be confiscated and diesel cars as well within a decade to achieve these net zero carbon emissions, otherwise this target of 2030 is completely and utterly unachievable, this is going to involve a major change in how ordinary people live their lives isn't it what they eat whether they can heat their homes how they travel whether they can go on holiday abroad this is going to involve a huge tax increases to pay for it this is i mean this is if it is achievable it is only achievable with an awful lot of very angry people
0: right but we have a climate crisis and all the dreadful things that you've mentioned will be forced upon us if we don't do something about the climate crisis, it's going to be Why a problem Why will they be forced upon us? Because the climate will collapse. and The climate uh, will collapse. I'm oh, sorry, do, could yeah. you have any
2: scientific basis for that claim?
0: Well, there is a thing called the IPCC. Have yeah. you heard the I don't particular? think
2: they've ever said that.
0: Well, in fact, indi- I'm
2: 99.9% sure they didn't say that in any of
0: their reports. They didn't say that in those words. but that's No, they the didn't. So they,
2: so they didn't say the climate would collapse. I mean, that literally is a statement. That's I would expect that of a 16-year-old Swedish girl, but I wouldn't oh, expect really? that from, okay. from, from an environmental consultant. But, th- but this is the point. This isn't a sensible conversation, is it? The environment will collapse. That has absolutely no meaning whatsoever. It's scaremongering nonsense.
0: Well, no, let me explain then what I mean. Things are getting hotter. How how
2: much has how much has the world warmed by in the last 150 years?
0: Quite a lot. How much? Uh, Just over a degree, I believe. Just
2: over just just under one percent, actually. Yeah, but
0: that's not is that quite a lot? Yes, it is. Because it is, as we're putting, coming out of
2: a mini ice age. That's quite a lot.
0: It's putting lots of energy into the weather systems, which is causing droughts. It's in causing intense <laughs> weather. I think you'll and find the, that
2: the IPCC, again, the International Panel on Climate Change, has actually said it's too early to say with any confidence whatsoever that any extreme weather is being caused by climate change. You really should read these reports and, before you become I'm, an environmental some consultant, that
0: the IP, and Some people have said that the IPCC is subject to political pressure and has been far too conservative. in what it's said uh, in its open... Uh,
2: Oh, actually, the evidence is actually, the scientific evidence behind those reports before they are politicised is actually rather more conservative than the political uh, documents. But there we are. We're going to have to leave this because I don't feel we're going to get uh, much use out of, of this conversation. And today, uh, appreciate you joining us. Presenter of the Sustainable Futures Report podcast.
0: No mistake about Julia's agenda there. I'd love to try and change her mind. If only she'd listen. Well, that's enough for another week. There will be another episode of the Sustainable Futures Report next week, only one, although I have no idea at this point what it will be about. I feel sure there will be something to do with the climate crisis and sustainability to talk about. Before I go, EDF have announced that the nuclear power station under construction at Hinkley C is not expected to commence production before 2025. And will cost at least another billion pounds on top of the existing overruns. Until next time, thank you for your attention and thanks for getting this far. And now, here is John Dassier with his song Try the Greens. There's a video version of this. The link is on the blog at all the W's SustainableFutures.report.
3: To the what to do? What to do? What to do? Greens, we are not the, the, the are useless. What to do? What to do? What to do? Try the greens. Try the greens. Don't up. Give it shit. We are the leader. Must find a way out. What to do? What to do? What to do? Try the greens. Try the greens. Don't switch up. Though the old expect the war to the same liar. What to do? What to do? What to do? Try to win, try to win for you kids, for your castle. No, no, the way the peace meets the one billion campaign. that shit. the expect the to same liar. What to do? What to do? What to do? Try to win, try to win for you kids, for your castle. What to do? What to do? What to do? Try to win, try to win. What to do? What to do? What to do? Try to win, try to win. What to do, what to do, try to win, try to win What to do, what to do, what to do, try to win the wins, try the, greens, try the what to do what to do what to do try the wins try the greens. what to do what to do what to do try the wins try the what to do what to do what to do try the wins try the what to do what to do what to do try the wins try the wins